This is Elite Business Live. I'm Ollie Barrett, co-hosting with Hannah Previtt. And Hannah has been doing an amazing job. Uh, well, backstage, it's a separate stage, but it's sort of uh, a bit of a double act and getting one-to-one -one time afterwards. So thank you for the questions that have been coming through, and particularly if you've been using the hashtag EBL2021. Thank you. Unusual, of course, we're here physically in London, and you are... <coughs> potentially all over the world. So thank you for joining us. And thank you to our panel who have magically appeared. It's lovely to see you, lovely to meet you <laughs> uh, as well. Good of you uh, to make it. Now, um, I've been reading about you, but we get to meet personally for the first time in most cases. So thank you. Uh, Rashida Abdullahi, you've got a fascinating organisation, Strand Sahara. Mm -hmm. I think this has got a legal twist to it. Just remind us what you're doing. Absolutely, yes. So um, Strand Sahara is a legal consultancy for Africa-focused businesses. So what we do specifically is help business owners based both here in the UK, but also across the continent to set up businesses with the aid of the world-class legal services that we've come to expect and benefit from here in the UK. Love it. So what sparked that then? Was it a problem you'd seen firsthand? It was actually, it was realizing that, you know, we take for granted the access, the ease of access to really high quality legal services here and the way in which we can use it to propel our businesses as well as protect them. And I, I recognize an opportunity to make that expertise available more broadly, not just to the larger businesses, but to those smaller ones who are attempting to enter into new markets on the continent. So, so we could see you there as an advisor, not, not a law firm per se. What, everyone loves to pigeonhole everyone, don't they? But how do you yes. describe yourselves in that sense? Um, a legal consultancy. Yeah in the sense that we're very much focused on solving you know, business solutions, some of which may involve business challenges around uh, finding the right partners on the ground, and some of which are purely legal issues. So we try to provide a, a multidisciplinary approach, which is more holistic than legal services alone. Got it. No, thank you very much indeed. Now, sitting next to you, Natanel, I hope I pronounced that right. That's correct. Yes. Natanel Bigger, yeah. with a luscious head of hair, I might add. And that's, <laughs> that, that, that's not just me, it's meant having, to be. me having FOMO. It's very relevant to what you're doing. Yes. Uh, Mon Pure, uh, which, which is all about the scalp, isn't it? Don't yes. get the giggles next door. We're coming to you. Don't worry. Uh, Natanel, just remind us, Mon Pure. Yeah, I'm the founder of Montpure London. It's the world's first dedicated scalp and hair health brand. Ooh. Essentially, hair care has been done wrong. We're using ingredients that are targeted at the dead part of our hair. And, uh, you know, really, we should be nourishing the scalp. So what grows out of it can flourish. If only we'd met <laughs> sooner. So tell us about your global journey. Where do we find yes. you uh, today? By the way, you only launched in May 2020. So, you know, a relative of the newbie. pandemic. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so are you taking your first global steps? Where are you? Well, we're selling to 33 countries already. So within 10 months, we actually managed to, uh, you know, technology enabled us to sell globally pretty much straight away. Amazing. Um, so, so you've got to tell us, how have you done that? Is that through <laughs> a partner? I mean, that, that's a sprint start by any standard. Um, yeah, I think everything has been online to start with, because usually you would find like an, an offline retail partner to partner with, get that awareness. But at the moment, you know, everything is coming through our own website. Fascinating. Yeah. So I want to hear more about your strategy and your plans as well. Next to you, Anna Morsa, Commercial Director of Genuine Solutions Group. You do a few things, Anna, don't you? One of them involves some recycling, particularly products that we might otherwise have chucked in the bin. Yes, yeah, so there's two elements to the business. One is the, so we're in the telecoms market, first of all. So what we do is we take all that surplus stock, stuff that 
people don't need or don't want because they've upgraded and we repurpose that for a distribution model so what our, our main aim is is to prevent anything going to landfill yeah, and yeah. we do that on a global level yeah so i've got a drawer at home that might be yeah. of great interest to you i think you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yes, so, yeah, yeah yes. all, all of that all right and does that benefit to what, what what motivates somebody to to give that to you well we work with um we work with the networks predominantly yeah. and we work with the tier twos within those networks and some manufacturers so really the whole purpose of this is is to touch the general public as well we work with charities they yeah. donate for, for the charity organizations but you know it's really about that corporate responsibility charter yes. that goes through sustainability really as a, as a business all businesses Love it. businesses were here as well and Anna just give us a quick snapshot globally where are you we're in 52 countries so how's that happened I mean this is extraordinary <laughs> Tell so me 52 more. countries and you know we're owner managed so our CEO was our entrepreneur that started the business and he's still with us yeah. and what we've done is we've proved our services we've, we've proved our you know efficiencies and who we are as a business because you need to be ethical in this line of work and yeah. actually you have to be certified actually which is quite amazing when you think that it's something that someone doesn't want no, understood so we've gone through all our accreditations and that's allowed us to really reach out and have that that global expansion yeah well I, I think it's fair to say this panel contains nothing if not variety Carl mm. <laughs> right it's, it's quite it's quite the range and so it's a it's, it's a good point at which to say that what we're about to come up with is not the answer on anything it's just our own lived experience on our way and our lesson that we've learned from doing things and I say that because I'm going to ask the question about boots on the ground to what extent has it proved important for you to have physical presence human presence in the countries in which you've been successful so we do it really quickly Anna and then I'll come Natanel and we'll go around just just quickly just give me a take on that boots on the ground yes or no because a lot of viewers will be thinking about this uh, for us as a business, absolutely, because it's all about relationships. It's all about um, proving the, the services and, like I said, the, the accreditation. For us as an organisation, there's pros and cons, clearly, for being, being, being in a country. But it, it has been um, allowed us to flex and understand business models. OK, but can I say understanding can happen <coughs> at a distance? The pandemic has shown we can yeah. do business virtually across global borders is your view evolving or are you still in that? I think um, from someone who's been myself has been global for over 20 years and um, you know to understand the locals uh, you know for the want of a better word or to understand the landscape that you're in or the market that you're in or the nuances don't forget there's a lot of culture that fits around yeah. being global it's not just a trade opportunity you know what's what's really important to understand the nuances of who you're trading with and yeah. that sometimes can't be done remotely so this is really so Natana already I'm getting from Anna here relationships and also understanding yeah. really getting absolutely very important getting yeah. under the skin of something so yeah. how has it been for you at Montpure? yeah i think i think it depends what stage your business is at really like um to start with i wouldn't hold back from selling products online to other countries yeah. but you know uh, if you scale i think those localized teams become mm. a, a lot more relevant over time because you can improve your communications your execution you can tap into a whole new network so uh, yes we're in 33 countries as i mentioned but we're seeing you know a few countries crystallizing out of that uh -huh. and these are the ones that i want to put boots on the ground so so we'll pause there <clears> briefly <throat> Because firstly, where are you manufacturing? In Germany. I manufacture everything. Sorry for my thick German accent, by the way. No, no, no. Your English is yeah. impeccable. Um, I, I wonder, though, how many of those countries, because presumably during pandemic you couldn't travel, how uh, many of them did you visit to set up the deals? Um, um, literally just Germany. 
So currently we're doing everything from the UK. We're manufacturing in Germany, we're bringing it over here and we're supplying it. It's obviously not a long-term sustainable solution, yeah. but to start with as a small business, you don't want to split your stock or you know, have any other sort of challenges. So you want to test the markets first before committing fully. Interesting. And then how, and Rashida will come down to you and then through Carl as well. But now that you've got this opportunity, you see the dashboard beginning to light up 30 countries. How will you decide where to double down? Um, where the sales are the biggest, where people are you know, happy to uh, understand what we're offering because it's a, it's a new offer. It's a, you know, it's looking at scalp care, it sounds very niche, but the future of hair care should be ingredients that nourish the scalp in the first place anyway. So It sounds like, yeah. um, forgive me um, briefly, Carl, <coughs> that sounds like a very rational um, methodology <laughs> where the sales are the biggest. I do wonder though, um, in your experience, could, 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 could that be the red herring, that actually there may be a sleeping cell somewhere where the potential is there but just wasn't coming through? Or do you always follow the money? No, you've got to follow the uh, values mm. first. So I warmly commend uh, my colleague here. But I, I think Anna, Anna? Yeah. I think Anna really made the point that I'd like to make, which is that if you're going to... If you're going to exceed, succeed in global markets, then you have to put a part of you in those global markets. So it took me many years, de a couple of decades, to learn the following, which might be of interest to your uh, listeners. De put in place a, 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 globe, a regional global structure based ar around people that literally share your values and your hopes, mm -hmm. that are senior and can operate multi-sectorally, mm. And then for the on-the-ground on boots that you're referring to, be laser-focused, to use your phrase, Ollie, in the appointment of distributors, partners, representatives, who can focus specifically at, in those customer bases mm -hmm. that you know you want to succeed in. Yeah. And then you might flip the following the money outcome. Yeah, understood, understood. Rashida, I can imagine a world in which Sahara Solution, or Strand Sahara, could thrive virtually if I can put it like that yeah absolutely I would say that what really what informed our strategy uh, were two things one external and one internal the external one being the fact that in legal services the regulations don't really allow us to be global in the sense that you know you can be in a lot of other businesses mm. especially when it comes to the continent where we operate uh, the rules require that um, all lawyers are qualified locally. Interesting, yeah. And so that meant that we had to take a strategy of collaborating with partners on the ground. But the internal reason for taking that approach was that, you know, we wanted to create more work opportunities for people on the continent. And so we're very much, um, you know, happy and trying to facilitate the creation of more jobs on the continent through our business powered from the UK. Mm. So it's, you know, yes, being virtual is great from the prospect of being able, to, from the perspective of being able to scale your business, um, but making sure that we're also um, ensuring that the business is a win-win for both sides of the coin, if you like, is also important to us. And who's been flying sort of up front with you? Who's been helping you steer? Because of course there are, you know, just a multitude of opportunities across uh, the African continent. Uh, who's helped? Well, gosh. Well, I'm very fortunate to have a network of uh, contacts, lawyers, business owners across the continent by virtue of my experience previous, previously, which was at a global law firm based here in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, and over a decade of working there and setting up Africa practices, um, I was able to connect with people who are 
um, operating in the field that I was looking to get into. So it was really about tapping into my network. Drew on that network's advice. Absolutely. Now, my only challenge at the moment, it, it is a bit of a complaint, is this is all quite positive, <laughs> is what I would say. Glossy, in your words, Natanelle, I would say. So I'd like to dig out a horror story or two, something you've learned the hard way. We're amongst friends at Elite Business Live, and I am going to come to you first, if it's all right. Carl, I reckon you've got a couple up your sleeve as well. But anyway, <laughs> go on. Just, just something that you learned the hard way that you thought, damn it, we messed up and here's the lesson we learned. Well, not so much in genuine solutions because, you know, we're, we're you know, you know, as, as you know, my colleague at the end was saying about her industry, you know, you're regulated. But what I can tell you is in previous, I, you know, I've been 20 years in the electronics industry, and what I can tell you is not understanding the market you're moving into, i.e. not just regulations or, or you know, going in with a preconceived idea of how to mm -hmm. set something up because you've done your research at home, you think you understand it, and you've got your right cross-pollination of your teams. But actually, physically being there and setting something up is a completely different yes. set of skills and I've done that once in my career and I say once just in case someone's watching I mean, once in my career where I thought I got it all right yes. and I ported a whole production line over thinking I understood the nuances yes. understood the language the culture the core values and actually we got it completely wrong and you know we didn't have the staff um, because we thought we'd done the, the recruitment right you know th there's a whole myriad of things so you're so you're telling me then uh, Anna that at genuine solutions you've not put a foot wrong is, is that the theory absolutely Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, very interesting. I wonder who's watching that. Okay, all right. Rashida, how about you? Give give us the gossip. Come on, what's happening? Uh, well, actually, you know, similarly, I think to Anna, it's about coming in with preconceived ideas ah. about the market and what will be suitable, what people might want. So what I realise is that actually we've had to um, really flex our offering for different markets. Um, not necessarily because, you know, it's a different legal landscape. Actually, the issues are pretty much the same. It's more about how do you appeal to the market? What are the things that they really care about? And so how do you make sure that the way that you package up your service is a, in a way that appeals to them? Going back, though, to Anna's insight around really getting under the skin of somewhere, if you like, with hindsight, would that have been the only way to do it through first-hand lived experience or with a different bit of advice, maybe even a different, goodness knows, course or book. Who knows how education might work in this way? You see what I'm hinting at? Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, and to be honest, I think some of it is, uh, it is about personal development of the entrepreneur mm. and recognising that that is something that they need to get their head around. Understand your market. Mm. Don't just go in and think you know everything. And I think, you know, Speaking for myself and many other entrepreneurs, we can be a bit arrogant sometimes and think we have all the answers ah. and then have the market tell us otherwise. Hmm? Interesting. Now, Carl, which, uh, which lesson will you highlight for us? I remember um, I was trying to support a, a fleet of uh, ships and the contract that I'd won involved the supply of some specialty steels. And the way that it was the Commonwealth government concerned was going to pay for it was uh, with a letter of credit, which I'd never dealt with <laughs> before. I don't know whether you know what that means. Anyway, it's a, f it's a form by which the seller can assure that, he won't, that y the money will not pass to the supplier until the supplier has done everything right. Anyway, I'd, I'd done everything right, but there was a clause in the letter of credit that my father at the time urged me not to, not to implement. And I said, no, 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 I just, I just left the military and I was, uh, I was absolutely certain that I should have been a commander of every armoured division in NATO. 
and therefore I could, how could I possibly not deal with a simple letter of credit in, in the Commonwealth country? <laughs> anyway, and that little clause. And to that, to not only did I lose every penny of that deal, but I swear blind that that steel is still rotting on the quayside <laughs> of that Commonwealth port. So I, I would say, uh, you know, all these people that say master your local markets, yes, do all that, but also understand the nature of business first as well. Yeah. No, right. Wouldn't so be a bad idea. Is it, um, and go to a lawyer. Go to, it, go to a jolly good lawyer. Yes, isn't it? Should have gone to Strand Sahara. Go yeah. to a jolly good lawyer. I can spot one when I see one, man. All right, all right. That's enough sponsorship. Thank you very much. So, so we have to it's Earth. Well, it's, sorry, it's early days, isn't it, Natanel, for Montpure? But give us an example of where actually where got it messed got, up. You got it bit wrong. <laughs> where messed up? Um, yeah, I think thinking too big too early oh. is something that entrepreneurs have to deal with. I mean, we see a big opportunity, but you know, it's really laying one brick at the time. I can give you a concrete example of this. Um, we have partnered internationally straight away. Um, so if we're looking at uh, manufacturing in Germany or some of our sustainable packaging parts come from Asia because they're not available in Europe. And then we launch in the midst of the pandemic, mm -hmm. all of a sudden your freight costs go up 800%, uh. literally 800%. And in hindsight, having had that local solution would have probably given us a lot less headache to, to deal with. But can I just pick you up on a turn of phrase, which was about thinking too big? Because I wonder if we can separate that from yeah. the thinking and the doing. I mean, <clears throat> did you really mean you want to not think as big because you seem very ambitious <laughs> the vision should be big but you know the steps are the steps are small and there's no there's no shortcuts for that either so so, yeah. so, so tell us again the question i was sort of um hinting at um with rashida um anna for you who's guiding you along the way who, who's your sort of you know your phone a friend for going global i think for but for us as a business, we're very fortunate because we share best practices with other people in the network and also... For, we, forgive me, you say the network, do you mean your, your personal I mean, network? you know, I'm, I'm, we're talking about business networks. We're very much connected and what we, what we do very well is we foster other people's opinions. So we attend workshops, seminars, you know, we're hungry for knowledge. We don't think we've got all the answers. Yeah. And actually, for all of the businesses I've worked for, if you leverage other people's experiences, you know, that's, that's a sure way to understand something but, but to take this you know I suppose the opposite way is you still need to understand where you're going or how you're going to how you're going to achieve that oh. but this is kind of like the base to get other people's frontline experiences and knowledge and develop that further. So this, is, this is a really interesting point isn't it Carl the idea that yes you've got the ambitious business leader but not afraid to learn as you go along it draws back to something you were saying in your keynote where are the hidden gold mines to find these nuggets of information and resources I suppose. Um, defining intelligence is a good start, so I define it as the ability to adapt. Mm -hmm. And then with regard to the vision, I agree with everything that my colleagues say. The only thing I'd say is to make it simple for yourself by having that wonderful vision, certainly, but then defining within that a very simple mission mm. within and then an overall strategy to enable that mission to be delivered, and then that will leave the vision something that can prosper and grow and adapt and develop as market circumstances yeah. allow. No, I, I, I love that mentality. I, I like it very much. Um, Rashida, Nathaniel, any other hidden gold mines, just in terms of resources that someone watching might be like, oh, I should check that out. Mm. Where do you turn? Well, I, 
Hmm, there are a few places, but I would say one of the benefits of being in business today is social media. And actually, I have formed some really helpful and useful contacts and connections through a really you know, clever use of social media. So what's an example? Um, hmm, well, let's look at Clubhouse because that's quite an interesting one that some, well, hopefully you've all heard of, um, but it's relatively new and it's an audio-based social um, app. So uh, because it's relatively new, um, it's been an opportunity to get in rooms of people that you, know, you might otherwise struggle to connect with. And so an example for me was that I was able to connect with someone who is um, building a legal tech solution on the continent, which would very easily slot into my business. Mm. I might not have even known that person existed, but for the fact that I went into Clubhouse curious um, to find new people, was able to talk about what I'm doing in the world, find people who are in interested, and then make a connection that just, you know, was gold for me. This sounds like a brilliant technique. I must say, Nathanelle, because the question we're asking ourselves as we tune in is, how do I find something of use without wasting my time and getting lost along the way? What's worked for you? Finding the people who do the right referrals. So I find it very, a lot of people want to help, but they make random referrals. Once you find the ones that give you the right referrals and it actually works out, keep going to those. <laughs> uh, that, and they can be in a similar space, maybe a little bit ahead of you, and they're happy to share their experiences because they're not directly competing. Well, I'm going to ask, um, that's a very interesting reflection. <clears throat> I, I want more on that as well, because um, if you've got questions that you'd like to ask our guests, please do uh, share them with us. You can do that in the, uh, in the window, in the main uh, show window, but also using the hashtag EBL2021. Um, when it all boils down to it, what is the single biggest question you're asking yourself right now about global expansion for your company? Anna, what's top of mind? Well, um, our, we have clearly penetrated 52 countries, but have we really expanded within those 52? Have we really taken the correct market share? Have we really developed our services to reach out to as many customers as possible? So yes, we're 15 years long, and actually we pretty much know who we are, but it's a case of evolution. There's the next generation of genuine solutions. That, that we're now developing and looking at. And that's not just service, that's not just products from our manufacturers, that's mm -hmm. us as a business, because what well, thing, thing has told us with COVID and Brexit, we've had to adopt different ways of working, different mm -hmm. ways of, of being. So I'm looking forward to the next evolution. So, so what's your take on that, just out of interest, Carl, because you've got an opportunity there to deepen that <coughs> penetration to its fullest potential in those 50, or go, as you have done, to double the number. Oh, no, it's not a competition, but double <laughs> another number of countries, but hard to navigate that choice. It is, so um, I, I agree with what Anna's saying. The only thing I'd say is that for, to, in answer to your specific question, what do I think about? I think about how can I engender economic hope? What do I have to do to generate the stability and security for people here and overseas that will generate the prosperity that will enable that economic hope? So I think that for me is the, the, the macro question mm. that I deliver. And then how, how many people can I bring along here and globally to meet that in the kindest way that I can to create the happiest organizations that I'm able to whilst accepting that there will always be some people that are slightly behind where you are going. Yeah, no, interesting. And um, I'm thinking that now with your business, you must be able to sort of stand on the shoulders of giants in terms of some of these big platforms that offer you access to global markets. On the other hand, you might go direct to consumer. How are you going to work this out? 
we're, we're a digital native brand, but that doesn't mean that we're not interested in omni-channel partnerships. So I think for us, top of mind is finding the right partners globally mm. that you know want to give us that awareness and take a punt on a luxury, natural scalp and hair health brand that hasn't been there before. Yeah. I think that's that's what it is next. So, and how about you, Rashid? What's top <clears> of mind? Uh, top of mind for me is uh, technological innovation and how we can utilize technology to make our services. Um, better, faster, cheaper, in the words of Carl, um, <laughs> to make sure that we're able to, you know, to, to make them available to more people, to make sure that we're able to help as many businesses as possible. And I think about the challenge of, you know, economic prosperity and development on the continent. There's so much that needs to be done. I'm all, I feel like I'm already behind. So I really want to use technology to be able to leapfrog some of the, um, you know, some of the development um, journeys that we've had here in the West so that we can get to that point of prosperity quicker. How are you, how are you going to navigate that? Because to an extent, and I'm not setting them up in opposition, please understand that, but are you going to chase financial opportunity or the opportunity to solve big problems? For me, it's the latter, and I think the finance will come with it. Ah. So yes, I think you know it's really difficult to keep focus when you have an, when you are an entrepreneur when you're running a business. Yeah. And I think if you you know if you're chasing money, then you might lose your way. Um, so I think it's really important for you to have that really important purpose at, at center, front and center at all times, mm. and be confident that the money will come. And what about what about and I'm conscious of our sort of, sort of few minutes remaining but we've talked about boots on the ground and getting you know under the skin of certain locations how about you as the leader to what extent are you going to be home-based you know directing your um you know colleagues or to what extent are you going to be rushing back through the airports of the world i'll just get a super quick take natanel and then uh, rashida I, I see my role at this current stage in time as as uh, strategy sales and business development mainly um, so I will be traveling, but not to an extent as I've probably been pre-COVID. Uh, I, I, I do think that the team, especially by being not all in one office and everything being remote, we, we have our regular meetings twice a day, mm. very Germanic efficiency there. But, mm. you know, we're going through the priorities together so everybody is aware of what's happening. Uh, and what about the voice that says, well, you've said that your future will rely on the right partnerships and the way to really foster those might be over a breakfast or a coffee face-to-face -face mm -hmm. in market. Yeah, absolutely. I think business travel will become less, but I do think those meetings will become more meaningful. Mm. So um, the importance of that you know, breakfast or that meeting one-on-one -on -one is still very much, uh, yeah, very much there. Okay, so if we were sort of uh, tracking your movements over the next couple of years, uh, Rashida, we will be from a distance. What do you think is going to happen and how are you personally going to be most impactful? It's a good question, I think, and the, the reason I struggle with it is because coming out of this pandemic, I'm, you know, I'm conscious of the environmental impact of all the traveling I used mm. to do. I'm conscious of, um, you know, the fact that actually we can probably save quite a bit of money and do a bit more if we didn't travel so much. Um, but I'm also conscious of the fact that the markets that I'm trying to really enter in really value relationships, really value seeing you. You know, being able yeah. to hear from you personally. Um, so it's something that I'm going to struggle with, I think. Um, but there will definitely be travel involved. Yeah, and Anna, I must say, you know, thinking about our footprint on the planet is core to your business. So what's your answer? So I think that it will be blended. I think there will be times when you will need to go and, you know, understand 
a country better and what, what needs to be delivered within there. I think that, you know, but we've been successful. I think all of us have been successful in this period of COVID for a year, growing our businesses and looking after our estates with, with, with being it remotely. But I don't think that will ever replace that touch point of actually going out and see someone. So I think, yes, in the environmental piece, absolutely there will be less travel but i do absolutely believe there'll still be a desire for people to meet and have a yeah, coffee in interesting okay yeah. and, and and final word carl uh, you've been very honest about how much you've enjoyed being uh, grounded over this past year but wh where are you going to be most impactful on a personal level for the business in the next couple of years um so to just something to maybe ask your audience to reflect I'd, I'd say that my the best place that i could be is where i know my qualities apply them to what I think I'll enjoy most and then to my colleagues perspective money and success will follow so wherever on this planet that is that is and wherever I can exercise the most thought to achieve what I've just described is where I will be interesting it's sort of uh, wherever I lay my hat but wherever I can exercise well, I did, I those did, values I, did. I don't know about the <laughs> lay my hat thing um, and I think that's unkind since we've got a hair we have got a bit longer because Hannah's going to grill you backstage sort of one to one and the thing I love about working with Hannah is she'd always sort of get the zinger questions I'm like oh why didn't I ask that but that's the treat we've got to look forward to for now uh, Carl and Anna and Natanal and Rashida thank you very much for joining me Thank Please you. welcome. Thank you very much. Um, on your way to see Hannah. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, great. Well, I must admit that's given me a little bit of wanderlust, but that's all right. Uh, but it's also given me uh, much more of a desire to spend more time uh, with those panelists. They are heading their way round to Hannah Prevett. If you've got questions for them, keep them uh, coming through. That's our last panel of the day. Um, Hannah will be one-to-one -one with them in just a couple of minutes time. But just a word to say, of course, we're going to be back tomorrow morning and we'll sign off properly after these next conversations. But so much food for thought. And I've been on privately run trade missions with Hannah uh, overseas. And we've seen this benefit firsthand of entrepreneurs, business leaders connecting with each other. So uh, more to come. But for now, let me leave you in the capable hands of my co-host, Hannah. Thank you, Ollie, and an absolute cracker of a panel to finish the day. I know as a journalist, this is a topic that comes up again and again, you know, how can we explore new markets? How can we succeed? I think one of the really interesting topics that I'd like to pick up on is where to go for that first export market. And I think that it's often the case that entrepreneurs will naturally look to uh, countries that also speak English, so the US, for example. And I'm looking forward to speaking to Carl about this. Carl, if you'd like to join me here in this box, that would be perfect. Hi, Hello, um, I heard you speaking about, you know, exporting to the US. Yes. Is it not the case that sometimes entrepreneurs think, I must go to the US, they speak English, we have a similar culture, and they just assume it's one big kind of homogenous lump that they can go over um, and, and do the same they do here. But it doesn't quite work like that, does it? No, you're spot on. I wish you should be, you should be on the UK-US trade team. Um, <laughs> so we look, at New York, we look at America through the prism as English people. Tend, we tend to go to New York and San Francisco and the more obvious cities. But you are spot on. There are, my, my America is the hundreds of Americas that are so different wherever you go across it. And so you are spot on.
Mm-hmm. But that should not uh, concern or com- that should not worry you about starting. Do start in New York, but realize that you have to go to Kansas one day and you have to go to Montana and enjoy that. But you, you have to understand to do that in America, you're going to have to resource it and be committed to it. Otherwise, you will succeed in just the regional parts of it that you go to. And that might not be quite what I mean by exporting to America and what I think you're talking about. Absolutely. And even some of the biggest kind of household names uh, that we know here in the UK, like Marks and Spencers, yes. like Tesco's with its ill-fated fresh and easy yeah. brand that, you know, they famously yeah. retreated with their tails between their yeah. legs, right? The US isn't right for everybody. Um, I really enjoyed your comments about your wife effectively having been right all these years and could have, you know, stood in, in the place of a great mentor. Um, one of the things I'd like to, uh, to think about is you as the kind of figurehead of your business. Do people expect to see pre-pandemic you going over to see them? Are they happy to have somebody stand in for you? Um, you know, perhaps one of the managers throughout your business, somebody else in your exec team or as, you know, a founder or a chief executive. Does it always have to be you? No, no. I think is you know, if we were working together in the roles that you've just described, then you know you, we would not be working together unless we, you, sh- you and I shared each other's values. All that means, though, is that all I need to do is to make sure that the person that you're meeting knows that I am available, and that you are expressing what I would have done myself. But that you're not there because I can't be bothered. It's because what you're bringing is better than I would have done. And I think that's the key thing, isn't it? The reason that you should go to the meeting than me is because you're better for that meeting. Mm-hmm. I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope so. You know, I would have thought. <laughs> you know, I don't think I always knew that, by the way. I used to think, I think the reason for your question is that you were spot on. I used to think that only I could do that meeting. And uh, I'm liberated now. <laughs> I think that's an entrepreneur's uh, perennial issue, though, isn't it? That they always fear that it has to be them. So it's learning how to delegate that's part yeah, of that. Yeah, and I don't now. Okay. No, I definitely don't now. Uh, So you did say uh, we're going to have to move on swiftly because we don't have a lot of time. But um, you did say that there were a few things that you were looking forward to about traveling again. What are those? Well, I I mean, I love the East. It's a part of who I am. I miss that. I I would quite like to do a very old fashioned grand tour of the world, if I'm honest. That is actually what I'd love to do. But if my wife gets to hear about that, it probably (laughs) won't happen. So I I would like to do it, you know, and I'd like to do it with a naval frigate at my side. But anyway, Crikey, so, quite the yeah. ambition. Um, so uh, we won't tell a no, soul. don't tell a soul. We won't tell anybody. We are very good at keeping secrets here as journalists um, and a media organisation. Exactly. But um, it has been an absolute pleasure to Thank hear your you. story. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Thank you for being so professional, Hannah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Anna, if you could come and join me next, please. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great to hear about everything that you're doing. Um, do you think that... British brands still carry the same cachet as they they always have done. You know, when you go overseas, is there, you know, the kind of made in Britain stamp? Yeah, I think there is, absolutely. I think that, you know, don't forget, as a, as a, as a country, we're, we're huge on innovation and brand development and bringing those to, to different markets. And we're very good at listening, actually, and understanding our footprint. So I think there is an appetite. You know, we're, we're very prestigious as a, as, a, as a country, you know, and all our core values 
definitely coming to the brands that we make. So yes, especially my career being global, I, I see that you know that there's a there's a whole genre of people that feel that there's a whole lot of quality behind what what Britain produces. So yeah, I think so definitely. Proud to be British. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even in light of the Oprah Winfrey interview, which we won't talk about uh, earlier <laughs> this this week. Um, so so. Um, Ollie asked you kind of what it is that keeps you awake at night. What are you looking forward to for the rest of 2021 when it comes to your continued global expansion? Well, we're looking forward to developing our customer relationships stronger. COVID's been a very tricky time for us as an organisation and we have some fantastic partners and some absolutely loyal customers. We're looking at that growth within those countries, developing those services. And sometimes in moments like this, it's not doing the next best, best big thing as an organisation. It's actually keeping what you've got bringing that forward and developing that with the customer base you have but absolutely we've got a clear expansion program behind that mm -hmm. um, and, and talking about prestige that you were earlier i know as a business you've won a ton of awards right we've won a bucket full so, it's a waterfall of awards yes so so just for the people listening at home is it worth entering awards it takes a lot of time i know sometimes you get entered for them but is that a process worth going through and you know how does it help you grow your business I think what awards do for you, I think for, even when you're at school as a, as a child all the way up to being an adult, what awards do is they actually give you, give you that feel of the sense you're doing the right things, that, you know, that everyone else feels that you're doing the right things. And there's that, there's that real you know, tick in the box for everybody to say, you know, are, we, are we good? Are we doing everything we can do? Do we have you know, you know, the right way of working? And when you get awards, that's a real tick for us. And I would say, yes, it is, because, you know, you have to do your entries, then there's, there's people that have to sponsor you, and then you, you, know, you have to get, you know, letters of confirmation of who you are. But absolutely, it's, it's a real, you know, acid test for anybody's business and service, mm -hmm. you know, and to enter awards. Presumably that extends to the whole team as well. It's not about you guys at the top, it's, it's for the whole I company. Will, I, absolutely, I can tell you now, on all of the, you know, the team that we have, we have quite an extensive team i would say that the wards are on behalf of the whole business because we don't we don't win them as individuals we win them as a whole company and when i think right way through from our goods in department all the way through to our accounts our, our hr department our sales department it's because of them that we get our awards it's nothing really to do with the fact that they're managed by ourselves absolutely 100 percent correct Wonderful. Very Barrow. humble answer, Anna. <laughs> Thank you so much for your Welcome. time today. We've really enjoyed Thank speaking you very to you much. this afternoon. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Natanel, if I could invite you to join me here, just a few more minutes. Sure. Um, so, so one thing we haven't talked about is kind of the language barrier, right, when it comes to exporting. <clears> now, you're a very impressive individual when it comes to this. How many languages do you speak? Uh, four. So I won't ask, I won't put you on the spot and Please ask don't. you to demonstrate <laughs> some of them for us. But is that useful? Uh, I think so. It's more so useful for understanding global cultures and being able to adapt and sort of what Carl touched about, you know, being that chameleon and understanding how someone else thinks about you and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And but on the flip side, perhaps it can be a barrier if you're going, you know, overseas and you don't understand the language, you know, or the culture. Yeah, absolutely. It can be a barrier, um, but hopefully you find someone that can explain to you how, how to deal with the local culture as well. I think that's very important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, where are you looking to next? What's the, the next big market that you'd like to conquer? 
Yeah, I think as a startup, you know, we gotta we gotta think uh, approach globalization a bit different. Um, what works for us at this point in time? We're seeing lots of sales from the U.S. Twenty percent of our business in the U.S. already, without without having done anything over there. Um, purely because they understand the importance of scalp and hair health. So for us, um, having that uh, link to the U.S. with the language, not needing to translate everything on our labels, on our site, etc., etc., it gives us you know, a bit of a head start. So U.S. is definitely a big, big focus. Um, but we're also looking, with my background in Sinology, so I'm, uh, you know, I studied in China for a long time, and I speak Mandarin and lived there for a few years. So uh, we are looking into Asia in, in a few years' time. But to start with, we really want to establish the brand in the West. And thinking about the brand, when you came up with the name Monpure, did you have to really think about how that would translate into different languages? Because I know a few businesses have come a cropper here where the name has translated not very well at all. It's a very good question that you're <laughs> asking me. Um, um, yes, I have thought about that. It's, um, it's a two-syllable name if you would translate that into, into Chinese. There's different options that we could go for. We haven't figured out the details <laughs> yet. But um, there is words to describe the elegance of the hair that sound similar to Mon Pure, for example. Yes. Okay, okay. Well, it's good to know it's on your radar. Thank you very much for your <laughs> time this much. afternoon. It's been really interesting to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you. And last but not least, roll up, roll up. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and I, I think we very briefly kind of touched upon this on the panel, is kind of IP when you're trading overseas. And obviously, something I'm sure you know lots about, but we all know businesses that have come a cropper here slightly. So the fantastic Trunky run by Rob Law, you know, those, those little ride-along suitcases. I've been trying to hold out by my four-year-old one until this point. Um, but, you know, they, they start exporting internationally and before they know it, you know, there is a copy of the product that, that they are um, selling overseas. Um, and sometimes it's not very good quality and people start associating that with the brand. So do you think that's one possible drawback of exporting? Absolutely. You know, I can't deny that. And the legal framework for international um, intellectual property rights does vary from country to country. Um, now, whilst most countries do recognise trademarks, which is presumably what um, the owner, the inventor of, of Chunky used, um, you know, your ability to enforce your trademarks from country to country varies widely. Um, and so I think one of the other things that I always advise entrepreneurs to think about, in addition to intellectual property rights, is thinking about the practical things they can do from a public relations and reputational management point of view to make sure that when these things happen, you know, you're, you're, you're ready, you've got a plan and you're able to communicate with the market in a way that is really authentic, but which protects your brand. Um, you know, people know that this happens. They know that there are people trying to, you know, piggyback off of your goodwill and create substandard products. But so I think they, they'll be forgiving if you put out the right messages and plan. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because it can be expensive too, yes, right? Exactly. To challenge those kind of copyright infringements. Um, so uh, your your comments earlier about Clubhouse seem to have stirred oh, up yes. some kind of comments. Um, so how can businesses, and this will be the, the last question that we can delve into this afternoon, how can businesses use platforms like Clubhouse and other social, so, social networks to kind of build their network beyond the immediate to really grow those businesses into, you know, new markets? Well, I'm by no means a clubhouse expert. You know, <laughs> I'm still experimenting myself. But I think that the wonderful thing about it is that it's, it's a more authentic style of social media in that it's all about your voice and your message. 
Uh, no one's seeing any pictures. No one's seeing, you know, the wonderful images that you're able to put together with Photoshop and what have you. It's all about the message. And so I think because of that, it enables sort of deeper connections. And um, so my advice would be to, to use it to really communicate your brand, what your values are, share a lot of value with your customers, you know, help them to understand how, you know, they can navigate whatever issues that they have that you help with, um, help them understand the issues that you as a entrepreneur or business owner are facing it'd be really authentic because that i think will endear people to you and your brand and help you find your tribe mm -hmm. absolutely some great tips there and the other thing i love about clubhouse of course is that you can tune in in bed with your slippers on you don't have to put a full face on like you do for zoom or an occasion <laughs> like this thank yes. you so much for those thoughts that was really really kind of you for sharing so much time today good to speak to you you too thank you bye-bye and now I will welcome back to the stage my co-host for today, Ollie Barrett. Wow, what a day it's been, Ollie. Full on. Um, oh God, I might need to sit down after all that. <laughs> <laughs> well done. We got through. I just want to say thank you to everyone uh, for tuning in. Now, my bookmark for the day is going to be elitebusinessmagazine.co.uk because we get to watch it all again over the next few weeks. But uh, no, it's been quite a roller coaster, actually. How have you found it? I I've just been absolutely fascinated and also really energized. That's the yeah. thing I think about, particularly seeing people in real life again. You know, you just the energy and enthusiasm that entrepreneurs have for their businesses. It really is infectious, isn't it? Yeah, it is infectious. The only, it's not a complaint, but I have walked about 30,000 steps. This is the safest venue I've been in in the last 14 <laughs> months. Uh, so apart from that, it's all been good.